0: Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, here's my thesis statement. And today we're in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. And we're talking about choosing the painful will of God. Here's my thesis. The distance between where you are and what God has destined for you is a path of pain. Um, It's a path of pain. And how much pain you are willing to endure will determine how far you will go. Some of you right now, you're facing great pain. For some of you, it's emotional pain. Some of you, it's financial. Some of it's spiritual. Some of it's physical. Some of it's relational. Some of it's just very practical. Life is painful and it hurts oftentimes that pain is not caused by God, but it is allowed by God. And it is God's way of maturing us and preparing us to enter into the next season of his will for us. So here's what you need to know as Christians. We don't choose pain, but we choose God's will, even if it includes pain. And and the result is that you and I need to make a decision when the pain increases in our life, do I worship comfort or do I worship Christ? And if we worship Christ, we continue through the pain. And if we worship comfort, then we deny Christ in an effort to alleviate the pain. Why do I tell you all of this? Because that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 12. The storyline of John's gospel is that at this point, Jesus is in his early thirties. How many of you are in your early thirties? Early to mid thirties, okay, he's about your age. He's young, he's healthy, lots of life left before him. He's been doing public ministry for about three years, but he knows that he is about to be murdered. This is the final week, the final days of Jesus' life. It is during a season that is called Passover. The Jews had a lot of holidays. The major three, I wrote them down, included Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. On those major holidays, every able-bodied Jewish person was required to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There was the temple, the presence of God, and surrounding the presence of God would be the people of God. The city of Jerusalem probably held within the ancient walls a few hundred thousand people. When the high holy days, when the holidays would come, a few million people would show up. Think of the atmosphere like the World Series or the World Cup. In our day, the closest thing that we have to religious fervor is sports. Sports is our religion. So when football season comes, some guys don't go to church because they're home worshiping, right? There they are in their throne worshiping. That's what they are doing. It was like religious fervor. People are making the long walk. Often poor people with their family, taking days off of work and all of a sudden, the city of Jerusalem is packed with people. We know what this feels like around spring training or golf events or the winter comes and everyone comes to the valley, amen? All of a sudden it's crowded, things are more expensive, there's a buzz in the air, there's an excitement, the media is present and everybody's buzzing, what's happening, what's going on? It's that kind of season. And the the point of this celebration was to sacrifice a lamb in the place of the sinner in the presence of God. There was an ancient historian, his name is Josephus, and he reports that during the Passover, consider this, all you pet lovers have the heart funeral, consider this, 250,000 lambs were slaughtered. That is just a river of blood flowing out of the temple because the wage for sin is death and the unblemished lamb comes as the substitute in the place of the sinner. Now they would choose the lamb on Monday. It was on a Monday that Jesus exited hiding and re-entered publicly. That's where we find ourselves in John 12 today. At this point, there is a bounty on his head. The religious leaders have got a bounty on the head of Jesus. And if you would have went into the post office in Jerusalem, there was a wanted poster with Jesus' face and a reward. And he courageously stepped forward after withdrawing from public life. Now this is speculation on my behalf, but I wonder if for a period a brief period, he wasn't preparing himself to walk the painful path that the father had chosen for his next season. This is like someone who is single and getting ready to be married or married, ready to have a child or graduating high school, heading into college or leaving college and starting a career. It's that next step. It's like a soldier going off to war. Jesus withdraws. I believe he is connecting with the spirit and the father. He is praying and preparing for the path of pain that is set before him. Now, let me say this. Within a few months, it's all going to be amazing for Jesus. He's gonna return to heaven. He's gonna sit on a throne. He's gonna be worshiped by angels. He's gonna hear the father say, well done, good and faithful servant, after he's betrayed by Judas Iscariot after his reputation is destroyed with false accusations, after he has run through a sham legal trial, after he is beaten beyond recognition, after he is crucified and murdered openly, shamefully, and publicly. What does it say? It says to us that the will of God is often traveled first on a path of pain, on a path of pain. Let's pick up the story. John chapter 12. Beginning in verse 12, the next day. So again, this is probably a Monday. Most commentators believe the day that the lamb for slaughter was chosen by the sinner. It was on that day that Jesus chose himself to be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think it's 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb has been slain. Jesus prophetically chose the day that the lamb was, ch- was chosen and he chose himself to be the lamb who would lay down his life as a substitute for sinners. They chose the lamb on Monday, they slaughtered the lamb on Friday. All of this is fulfillment. The next day, the large crowd. So again, you get this idea, it's, it's, it's buzzing, it's, it's electric. The city is packed, everyone is present that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. It's interesting. Every time we have a big event in the Valley, there's usually celebrities that show up, whether it's the Barrett Jackson auto auction, here comes a former president or a rock star, that at some point there's a buzz. Oh, so-and-so is gonna be here. So-and-so is gonna be there. The buzz was Jesus Christ who has withdrawn is now coming public. I wonder where he'll show up. I wonder what he'll say. I wonder what he'll do. All the people gather and here is the cultural context. The Jewish people are ruled over by the Roman government. The Jewish people have their laws and some of those laws are in conflict with the laws of the Roman government. How many of you don't like how your tax money is spent in America as a Christian? Okay. You can raise your hand. We, we all can. This is the one thing we can all agree on, okay? When you live in a country that doesn't obey the Bible, as a citizen, you say, I wish we didn't do that. And I wish I wasn't giving my money to that. I wish we could get rid of that and live by God's laws and not man's laws. They were feeling that frustration because they had to give to ministry and then they had to give to a government that did not support them and they did not support. And that government used their support to suppress them and to restrict their religious liberty. It's frustrating. What they wanted was political deliverance. When they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're talking about wanting Jesus to be their king. What they're wanting Jesus to be is a national and political savior. In our day, this would be like Jesus coming and people saying, he should run for president. We'd all vote for him. After all, he, he took a little boy's lunch and fed a multitude. He, he, he gives food away. That's a great social program. He heals people, free healthcare, that's amazing. No deductible. And in addition, he brings back dead people. Who doesn't vote for that guy? Plus he's single, no kids, he'll work cheap, amen? He's he's a great vote. This is political language. Hosanna literally means, it's a cry out to God, save us now, save us now. There's a sense of urgency. And what they're wanting is Jesus to be a political national savior. How do we know that? Part of this is an echo and an intimation of the Old Testament. Psalm 118 uses this language and it's political. In addition, um, it says that they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. So in our day, if it's a political holiday or a political rally, what are people waving? The flag. This was their version of flag-waving. They didn't pack a flag because they walked the long distance to get to Jerusalem. How many of you today, if you had to walk to church, you wouldn't have made it. You're like, I wouldn't have made it, right? They had to walk, some of them from small rural towns, days as a family, walking to Jerusalem to go to the festival. What happens under those circumstances, you pack light. This is not like my wife Grace with her shoes. My wife, Grace, I love Grace, Grace loves shoes. So I travel with Grace in a lot of shoes. That's how we roll, okay? My wife's love language is shoes. And uh, my wife said, amen. And so, uh, (laughs) but let's say you had a poor family and you're walking all the way to Jerusalem, you pack light, amen? You take minimal supplies. So rather than waving a flag, they would wave a palm branch. They didn't pack a flag with them so they would pick a palm branch for them. And they would wave it. And this is what you would do when a king would come into town or when a political leader was rising in power, the people would all gather, think political parade, and they would all wave their palm branches and they would sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's their way of saying, this is who we're voting for. Here's the big idea. Most people care more about the political than they do the spiritual. True? Today, trending news stories are not about Jesus, they're about politics. How many of you, your life has been overtaken by the political at the expense of the spiritual? How many of you, don't raise your hand, but the first thing you do in the morning, you turn on your phone and you check the news and you wonder why you're bummed out all day because there's no good news apart from the kingdom of God. And so what we need to do before we read the bad news, we need to open the Bible and read the good news every morning. Before we hear about all the conflict that's going on in the culture, we need to remind ourselves that there's a king and a kingdom that rules over every nation. And so these people, what they're saying is, Jesus, you would be awesome at politics. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come for a nation. I came for all the nations. I didn't come just to bless your nation, but I came to bring a kingdom that rules over every nation. We like to say here at the Trinity Church, we we don't live culture or nation up, we live kingdom down. Jesus, who are you? What does your word say? What is eternity going to be like? What is the kingdom of God like? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what they are saying is, we have a political national vision. Let's use Jesus to get what we want politically. Sound familiar? And Jesus says, no, I'm not here for your political purposes. I'm here for spiritual purposes. I'm not here to fix your nation. I'm here to reveal the kingdom. And then what Jesus says is quite helpful. Uh, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. What Jesus says is, Fear not, okay? How many of you you struggle with fear, anxiety, worry? You're nervous, you're anxious. The number one command in the Bible, I've said it before, is fear not. If you think about it this way, God wrote a book, I don't know if you've read it, there's a lot of commands in here. The first five books in this Bible alone have over 600 commands. The number one command that God repeats more than any other command is this. Fear not, some of your translations will say, do not be afraid. Why does God have to keep saying it? Because we keep forgetting it. Now, let me me explain to you how fear works. And I tell you this uh, as someone who has for sure had seasons of anxiety and fear. Um, Some very concerning seasons of my life where honestly, I wasn't okay. Anxiety sort of overtook me. And as a result, I I wasn't doing well. Um, I was thinking about it driving in today. And I'll give you a word picture that perhaps will help. Have you ever seen on TV or a movie or maybe on a YouTube clip, an avalanche? Way up at the top of a mountain, there's snow and there's ice and it's all packed in and everything is fine until there's a lightning strike or something breaks loose or there's a tremor and then it shifts. And the question is, will it settle or will it continue? If it continues, you get an avalanche. What starts out as something very small, picks up tremendous momentum and strength. If you've ever watched an avalanche, anyone or anything that is in the path of the avalanche is buried. Here's what fear does. Something breaks loose in our life. Something shakes or something is struck. And we look and we think, oh no, the avalanche is coming. Now, let me say this. How many of you have realized the avalanche doesn't always come? You're like, it looked like it was all gonna break loose and then it settled down and everything was okay. Other times you're like, it's getting worse and it is coming and I cannot avoid it. This can be physical, this can be financial, this can be emotional, this can be spiritual, this can be marital, this can be parental, this can be practical. For those of you that have had an avalanche break loose somewhere in your life, if you see movement, it brings what? Fear, anxiety, stress, worry, concern. These people had a lot to worry about. You're people that have a lot to worry about. Jesus says, fear not, or do not be afraid. Um, You, my friend, can see this one of two ways, a command or an invitation. A command is something you have to do, an invitation is something you get to do. I, I believe that If Jesus says, fear not, he is inviting you into a relationship with him where even if things aren't okay, you will be okay. How does he articulate this? He says, fear not, O daughter of Zion. Let's talk about that. How many of you have a daughter? How many of you Love your daughter. All the people that raise their hand should raise it again, amen? Okay, do that, okay? In the front row today, my great honor, I have my two daughters. How do you think I feel about my girls? They make me cry all the time, not because they're bad. That's the best kind of cry for a dad. They make me cry all the time. Uh, Tomorrow, Ashley turns 21, 21, 21. She's going to hang out with her family and go to a Bible study. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you. You do hear and answer prayer. No boys, no booze. Yay! No boys, no booze, okay? Right, baby. That's our covenant. Okay, okay, good. Okay. Just okay. I could still remember when my daughters were born. I thought for sure we were going to have boys first because the Bible says that God will not give you that which you cannot bear. I thought I need to get a boy and practice on him before I get a girl. Cause I maybe know, being a guy, maybe I know a little bit about raising a guy, a girl. That's like a visit to a foreign country. That's a lot to learn. I was very convinced we were gonna have a boy and Grace had a girl. <laughs> didn't even ask. I mean, we didn't agree on this or anything. We didn't, we didn't check in advance. We didn't check. We were gonna let the Lord surprise us, which he did. And I'll never forget holding our firstborn, Ashley. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have a daughter. This is amazing. My daughter hadn't done anything yet and I loved her. Um, I prayed for her, I kissed her, I held her. All of a sudden, I was aware of danger in the world to a degree I'd never been. How many of you, first time you drove your daughter home from the hospital... You felt like everyone else on the road was evil and violent and should have stayed home. It's so dangerous, we just got to get her home, right? My two daughters have always had my heart. God loves you with a father's heart and God loves you like a father loves his daughter. That's awesome. I can still remember when the kids were little, do you have a kid that sometimes they'd have a bad dream or a night terror? They get scared. I'll never forget when, uh, when the kids were little, we tuck them in, I'll take one of my daughters. I would sing with her. I know you're like, that's terrible, I know. <laughs> she was little and gracious, okay? So we'd sing together and pray together and read the Bible together. And I'd tuck her in like a burrito, meaning I'd just put the covers all around her, tuck her in like a burrito. But then sometimes the kids would say, but daddy, what if I get scared tonight? What if, what if I have a bad dream? Well, their mom was a good mom. So she put a monitor in their room. Why does a mom put a monitor in the room? So that if something happens, the parents can hear and immediately come to help. And what I tell the kids is, we can hear you. We're always listening. We're right here. If anything happens, we'll be there for you. God is your father. He loves you with a father's affection toward his daughter that he is always listening and he is always near. And anytime the child of God cries out to the father, the father is present to help, to love, to serve the child. It's not the absence of problems. It is the presence of God that is the key to a healthy life. I would rather have the avalanche with God than no avalanche without God. Now, if we're voting, I'll take no avalanche and God. I'm fine with that too. But I have, I have been through a few avalanches in my life and I have seen the presence of God bring a peace that surpasses understanding. And this is where Jesus is going. Fear not, oh daughter. Don't you just love that language? Because God's heart is perfect, mine isn't. God is a perfect father, I am not. But if the father loves me like I love my girls, that is a great comfort to me. And I wanna thank my girls for being awesome girls. Thank you. I'll cry, gosh. it, it, it is such a. Let me, uh, this isn't in my notes. And if you saw my notes, my, my notes look like the Watergate transcript. It's a total disaster up here, but, I just feel inclined to say this. If you are a man who is gifted with the blessing of having a daughter, you are given a tremendous honor and opportunity, okay? And part of my heart for our church family is that all the kids would have parents who love them, but especially the girls would have daddies who share the father's heart toward them, amen? That's a big deal to me, that matters to me. And I'm jealous for that, for your daughters. And he says, fear not, O daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You and I can miss this, but this is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. Jesus is quoting, probably from memory here, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous. Having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the promise was given, your king is coming. How will we know it's him? He'll be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a donkey. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Now, some of you may not catch this because we're in a different culture. During peacetime, a king would ride a donkey because you're not in a hurry, everything's okay. During war, the king would get off of the donkey and would get onto a horse and ride a horse because there was a sense of urgency for the sake of safety. And so if you saw your king go by on a horse, you know that there is crisis. If you see your king riding around on a donkey, you know that all is well. Here's the point. Jesus is a king. He rules over a kingdom. He comes to visit this nation of enemies. Everyone is by nature and choice a sinner, and sin is a declaration of war against the king and his kingdom. In that day, if you declared war against a king and a kingdom, they would not come to you on a donkey, they would come to you on a horse. They're not bringing peace, they're bringing war because you are an enemy. Jesus comes humbly. He comes simply, he comes lovingly, he comes as the Prince of Peace. Here's what I need you to know. Jesus riding into town on a donkey is to bring peace with God. Peace with God. Once you have peace with God, then you can have the peace of God, amen? Amen. Once your sins are forgiven by Jesus, the Prince of Peace, You have peace with God. Then the Holy Spirit brings you the peace of God so that when it seems like the avalanche is coming, you could say, I fear not. I am loved like a daughter and the Prince of Peace has peace with me. The Prince of Peace brings peace to me. I had a moment this week, I'll just be honest with you, Um, there was something in my life that broke loose and created an avalanche. Grace and I are great, there's nothing catastrophic, but it seemed like there was a little shifting up the mountain. And I started feeling anxious, like, oh no, it's happening again. I, I became concerned. Emotionally, I was a little troubled. Mentally, I'm thinking about it and I can't let it go. It keeps coming back. Any of you have things like that? Furthermore, grace is gone. Well, grace is around. I have God's grace in my life. She's very helpful. And I was home with the kids and I'll tell you this, I'm a terrible mother. I'm a decent father, but I'm a terrible mother. And so I couldn't shake this fear this anxiety, this worry, this concern. I don't think it's an avalanche. I think it was a snowball and I was freaking out. And I remember I was down in the living room and I felt God reminding me about this word, okay? And so sometimes I need to preach the sermon to myself and then you guys get to overhear it. So I went up into my room and I shut the door and I literally got down on my knees and I put my face into the chair and I started talking to the Lord about this text. Uh, Lord, I, I am struggling with fear today. Um, and you invite me to fear not. And I love my daughters and you love me with the father's affection. And I remember talking to the Lord Lord, remind me of the peace that I have with you and give me the peace from you. And I can honestly report, I talked to the Lord for a while and I did feel the burden lift. I felt hope come. I felt like something had broken supernaturally. And I felt hopeful. And then it hit me again last night when I was sleeping, I woke up. And maybe the Bible tells me 150 times, fear not, because there are certain things that I'm gonna get afraid of 150 times. And it means that I just need God every moment that that fear comes. Um, and the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. All right? And it's God's love in the presence of the trouble that casts out the fear that can overwhelm us in the middle of the trouble. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If you don't know Jesus, you need to give him your sin and receive his peace with God. And then as you're walking through life, especially through pain, having fear for your future, you need to invite the Prince of Peace to ride in on his donkey and to bring the peace of God to you once you have peace with God, amen? This is really practical. This is how we live life. This is how we deal with trouble and trial and trauma. Okay, what are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? Are you inviting the Prince of Peace to ride in and to bring the peace of God and the peace with God? The story continues. In the next section, we read this. His disciples did not, they did not understand these things, right? How many of you have learned something in the Bible and then you didn't really understand it. And then later your life circumstances align with that teaching in the word of God. And you're like, oh, that's what that means. You know something, but you don't really know it until you experience it and apply it. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified after he died, after he rose, oh, okay, that's what he was doing. They remembered that these things had been written about him all the way back in Zechariah and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees, these are the religious. These are the religious leaders. They started off as the Bible people and they ended up as the religious people. How many of us love the Bible? Let us be careful that we don't become religious. I am a Bible guy. What this indicates to me is I need to be careful that I don't become a religious person. The problem with religious people is they start by taking the Bible seriously and then they start taking themselves too seriously. And then they think that God needs them and that God works through them in a way that is almost equal to the authority of God's word. And that's not what God's word is for. God's word is to cause us to be humble, not proud, to help people, not just criticize them. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Our our stock is declining and the whole world has gone after him. We are tumbling. He is trending. This is a problem. Jesus is winning. We are losing. A couple of things here. Number one, it is an honor to be a witness to God's work. Okay, here's what it says uh, They talk about Lazarus and they continue to witness. So, the, the story of Lazarus, if you were with us, it was just a little bit ago in John's gospel. Lazarus was a guy who died. And he was buried. And the King James Bible says he was there for a few days and he stinketh, okay? Jesus shows up, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus comes out of the grave. Everybody who's present is like, that, that, I'm putting that on Twitter. That was amazing, right? Hebrew Twitter. So they're like, that was amazing. And they keep telling the story. We saw Jesus heal somebody. We saw Jesus serve somebody. We saw Jesus raise the dead. You'll never guess what Jesus does. Let me tell you this. God works, we witness. A witness is we see God's work and then we report God's work. That's what a witness is and does, right? Let's say something happens in your life. You'd say, well, there was a witness. They saw what happened and they will report what happened. The Christian life, it is God's work. It is our witness. Here's what I want you to know. God's doing awesome stuff in your life and you need to talk about it because other people need to hear that. Some of you say, but I'm in a really hard time. Other people are in the similar hard time. Talk about what God is showing you. Talk about what God is doing in you, through you, to you, in spite of you. How many of you are walking with Jesus today because God did something in somebody's life and they told you about it and that got you interested in God, amen? For me, I talked to my mom yesterday. She told me the story. Marky, uh, it was, I think she said October, 1972. So I was two years old. My mom goes to a prayer meeting. They lay hands and pray over her and God heals my mother. She comes home and says, Jesus is alive. He's real. I worship Jesus now. God did a work. She was a witness. I always grew up knowing God showed up in my mom's life. He did something extraordinary in my mom's life. And my mom was praying for me. And then I met Jesus at the age of 19 and God answered her prayer. God worked in her life. She prayed for me. God worked in my life, but God started working in my life by letting me witness his work in my mother's life. Amen? So here's what I'm saying. Your life is awesome. It is built to encourage someone, to help someone, to serve someone. God is at work. You witness to his work and this can be witnessing to God's work in the life of others. So Lazarus is walking around going, let me tell you my story. I was dead, now I'm alive. Rock, paper, scissors, resurrection. Can you beat that? <laughs> right? And then the people who see it say, we were, that was amazing. That was amazing. So God's work, our witness is a privilege. Number two, most people love the gifts, not the giver. It says that the people were following him because of the sign he had done. Jesus feeds people, but not everybody becomes a Christian. Jesus heals people, but not everybody becomes a Christian. Some people love the gifts and they don't love the giver of the gifts. Let me tell you this, James, Jesus' brother says that every good gift comes from above. Here's what that means. Every good thing you've got in your life, even if you don't know Jesus, it comes from him. You're like, I sure got lucky. No, you got blessed. I was sure fortunate. No, 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 you got graced. That's how this works. You have breath, that's a gift. We have a planet, that's a gift. You have food, that's a gift. You go to work tomorrow, that's a gift. Everything you have is a gift from God. And what's amazing is the whole world is enjoying the gifts and so few are thanking the giver. Many people were following Jesus because he was giving stuff away. And then eventually the same crowd that was crying, Hosanna, Hosanna was crying, crucify him, crucify him. Number three, if you worship power, then Jesus is a problem. Here's the religious leaders. We're losing, he's winning. You're gaining nothing. The whole world has gone after him. Their religion is based and sourced in power and the power is transitioning from them to Jesus. And if you worship power, then Jesus is a problem because Jesus wants to be the one who holds the power. There's a leadership lesson here, okay? All of you are leaders with some sphere of influence. Some of your parents, coaches, teachers, ministry leaders, business leaders, whatever the case may be. Family and friends follow you. They seek you for counsel and advice. There there is a continuum of leadership, control, influence. Control is based on fear and punishment. Influence is based on love and service. How many of you grew up with a parent that was high control and lots of fear and lots of punishment? Jesus comes and he doesn't lead like the religious leaders. He's not controlling anyone, he's influencing. He's not working out of fear, he's working out of love. He's not punishing people, he's serving people. Amen. he's gonna go to the cross and die for their sin. Here's what I have found. People, myself included, will do more for love than they will for fear. That's why we'll do more for Jesus than anybody else. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because when you are loved and served, the natural response of the new heart is to love Jesus and to serve, amen? There's a little parenting lesson here as well. Control or influence, love, or excuse me, uh, fear or love, punishment or service. That's why sometimes children that grow up in a religious home, lots of rules, fear, and punishment, they obey until they leave and then they rebel. It is more difficult to rebel against love and service and relationship and humility and sacrifice and someone who is doing everything that is for your well being. There's nobody like Jesus. That's why today more people follow Jesus than anyone in the history of the world. And we do so gladly because we get to, amen? Last point. God is always at work. Sometimes you just don't see it till later. I wanna wanna give you encouragement here, okay? Here's the disciples. These are people who were handpicked by Jesus, have spent three years with him. You think they would know better? We're disciples. That means follower, student of Jesus. They did not understand these things in first, but when Jesus was glorified, ah, now we know. How many of you in your life, you thought God is gone. It's like the summer in Arizona. He's just gone, and He'll be back in a few months, but he is gone to San Diego. That's where he is. He has gone to San Diego. He'll be back in a few months. And then you look at your life and you're like, oh, actually, God was active and present and at work. I just didn't see it. How many of you have had that experience? Right. You're, you're, right now, how many of you? It feels like a desert season. It feels like summertime in your life. You're like, it is just nothing is growing. It's death. It's dry. I don't see signs of life. I don't think God is at work. I feel very lonely, maybe even abandoned. I know the Bible says he'll never leave me nor forsake me, but I don't see his presence and his provision. How many of you? That's today. I have good news for you. Jesus is at work in your life. Some of you say, I don't see it. I'm saying you will see it. That's what it means to live by faith until our faith becomes sight. Okay. In that moment, they're thinking, what is Jesus doing? I, I mean, it looks like he's, he's just going for a pony ride or a, a donkey ride. I mean, if you would have looked at Jesus at the moment, right, okay, you're God, you've come to earth. What are you gonna do today? I'm gonna ride a donkey. Really? That's what we're doing? There are, there are things to do. Well, I'm gonna ride the donkey. Really? <laughs> It's like a petting zoo for a kid. It's a little donkey. It's not even a big donkey. <laughs> How many of you, right? Right? If tonight, you know, greatest world leaders, what did they do today? Oh, uh, they, they went to the petting zoo and rode a donkey. That's it. Yep, it was a good day for them. Like, you got nothing better to do today than to ride the donkey? No. What Jesus was doing was exactly what he was supposed to be doing, even though it didn't look like it. He's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Okay? God is at work in your life. He is doing things right now. In this second, he is doing things. You say, I don't see it. They didn't see it. Oh, he's fulfilling the Bible. He's coming as the Prince of Peace. He's coming to bring peace with God. It's Monday. He's offering himself as the lamb sacrifice for the sin of the world. Oh, he was up to something. It just looked to us like he was going for a ride at the petting zoo. We live by faith until our faith becomes sight. God is at work in your life, even when you don't see it. And faith is trusting that God is at work in your life until you see it. Amen? Last section of scripture. Choose the pain that leads to peace. Here comes Jesus, Prince of Peace. He's gonna return to the kingdom of peace. He's gonna bring peace with God, but first he needs to travel the path of pain. How many of you know exactly what this is like? I can still remember in one of the roughest seasons of our whole life, one of our pastors, Grace and I have got some older pastors in our life that we love and submit to, and he said, at the end of all of this, you're gonna rejoice. And I said, maybe, but that's gonna be a while. Okay, I'm, I'm like Puddleglum or Eeyore, you know? I'm, I'm a little, and it's like, it's gonna be awesome, but I need to get there. And the path there is painful. How many of you know exactly what this feels like? People are like, God works on all things for the good of us, the love, and the calling for purpose. He does at the end. The problem is I'm in the middle. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This is good news, that's us. Jesus is Jewish, he's at the nation of Israel. These are all Hebrew people and some Greek people, that's us non-Jewish folks. They came to Philip who was from Bethesda in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. This is awesome. Here's what you need to know. There are people who want to see Jesus. As Christians, we can think, you know what? It's over. The earth is a dumpster fire. Everyone is cordwood, come Lord Jesus. No, there are people who want to see Jesus. There are people who are there and they don't have faith and they see Jesus physically, but they don't see him spiritually. Here are people who come and say, we want to see Jesus. You need to know that where you work, where you live, the people you know, there are people that want to see Jesus. And as you are a witness to his work in your life, they will ask you if they can come to church or get a Bible or be prayed for or have a conversation or come to a life group because they want to see Jesus show up in their life as Jesus has showed up in your life, amen? Want to give you hope, want to give you encouragement, want you to be looking for the people that are looking for Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus and Jesus answered them. The hour has come. So Jesus knows that it is the will of the father that within days he would go to the cross and die in our place for our sin. And he has withdrawn privately and now he is re-emerging publicly because the hour has come. The point is simply this. We need to know God's will and God's timing. How many of you, like me, I'm impatient. You know God's will, but you get ahead of God's timing. How many of you have done that? Like me. I've done that, I've done that. And it never ends well for me. It's never like God is like, well, good job, son. It's like, see what you did, son? Yeah, dad, sorry. I should have stuck with my dad and I got ahead of my dad and I got myself into trouble. Jesus knew not only the Father's will, but the Father's timing. He says, my hour has come, now's the right time. Some of you have done that relationally. Some of you have done that financially. Some of you have done that vocationally. You you got ahead of the Lord. You say, but it was God's will, but was it God's timing? Was it God's timing? Jesus knew the Father's will and the Father's timing. The hour has come, we'll revisit this title, for the Son of Man to be glorified, truly, truly, And in John's gospel, I think it's more than 40 times, Jesus says, truly, truly, or I tell you the truth. There's good news. And that is that Jesus always tells the truth. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life rather, loses it, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. There, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him." Number one, Jesus is the son of man. They're they're looking at Jesus and it's like, okay, Jesus, you're riding on a donkey, who are you? He says, I'm the son of man. 70 or 80 times, depending upon your English translation, Jesus will refer to himself as this title. It's his favorite title for himself. It comes from Daniel 7 written hundreds of years before Jesus walked on the earth. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions. There's a difference between a dream and a vision. A dream is when you're asleep. A vision is when you're awake. I've had these. It's almost like you're watching a movie of the future and God prepares you for it. A dream is what happens when you're asleep. A vision is what happens when you're awake. It's God revealing the future. Daniel says, I I got a vision. I I got to see the future. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Daniel says, it was like watching a movie. I saw heaven opened up and I saw someone who was God, but looked like a man. Now the Bible says that God is not a man. God is eternal. God is invisible. God is immaterial. God is spiritual. But in Jesus Christ, God became a man. He became Emmanuel, God with us. God knew that we could not go up to him, so God came down to us. God knew that we would not find him, so he came on a rescue mission to find us. His name is Jesus. And Daniel is this amazing vision. He's trying to just strain in his mental capacity to understand this tremendous revelation of this person. Daniel continues, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So this one like a man who is God goes over to God, the father, and then the father sends him to the earth on a mission. goes on to say, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus shows up and they ask, are you here for our nation? He says, I'm here for every nation. Are you here for our culture? I'm here for every culture. Are you here for our kind? I'm here for all kind. I am a king that brings a kingdom, a kingdom that never ends, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom that is ruled by God. And when Jesus rides in as a donkey and reveals himself as the son of man, he is declaring God is now walking on the planet that he made to save the people who have made themselves enemies against him. This is an astonishing moment, my friend, in human history. There is no other major world religion that has its founder or leader making this kind of claim. Number two, Jesus is to be glorified. He says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified that concept of glory, it means weightiness. It means preeminence. It means that it outweighs everyone and everything else in your life. What this means is that Jesus Christ is to be the gravitational center of your universe. What happens is we take good things, we put them in God's place and then bad things happen. By definition, that is an idol, anyone or anything that is in God's place. This can be your spouse, this can be your health, this can be your job, this can be your comfort, this can be your beauty, this can be your success, this can be your income, this can be your GPA, this can be your reputation. When good things take God's place, bad things happen. Some of you would wonder, Jesus why don't you give me what I want and Jesus would say because I don't empower you to worship your idols. Jesus at the center, Jesus is preeminence, Jesus is priority. Your marriage is around Jesus, your family is around Jesus, your job is around Jesus, your income is around Jesus, your identity is around Jesus. Who you are, what you believe, how you behave, how you spend, what you say, where you go, what you do. Jesus at the center, Jesus is the priority. Jesus as the beginning and the end, amen? That's what it means that Jesus would be glorified. And the reason that we get together as a church is not because God needs us to get together, but we need to get together because the gravitational center of our life is always a war because someone or something is trying to dispossess Jesus and replace Jesus. And you and I come here to remind ourselves that nothing makes sense until Jesus is at the center. In addition, number three, Jesus' death brought us life. He says it this way, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus knows that he is dazed from dying on the cross in your place, our place for your sins, for my sins, for our sins. I'll I'll use an analogy, I was thinking about it. I don't know if you did this when you were a kid. I can't remember if it was preschool or, or like kindergarten or as a little kid, the teacher said, okay, everybody get a styrofoam cup and write your name on it. Okay, now fill it half up with dirt and then you each get one seed, put it in the cup, put more dirt on top, put a little bit of water, not too much, and then put it in the windowsill. We all did that. All our little styrofoam cups with our names on it. I remember I was a little boy, really little guy. I was impatient, like I told you. So I kept running up. No, this doesn't work. Like I put it in there an hour ago. This doesn't work. Nothing is, nothing is happening. Next day, I remember getting to school. They open the door, I run in. Nothing. I was expecting a tree large enough to put a tire on it, swing at this point. (laughs) Day after day, nothing after nothing. Then one day I come in, it's like, oh, there's a little sprout. Look at that. The seed died and then eventually life came forth. Paul uses this same language in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the longest section of the Bible on the resurrection. And it says that God's people are sown. You know what that is? That's farming language. Oh, my grandma died, my aunt died, my uncle died, my spouse died, my kid died. No, dear friend, if they love Jesus, they were just sown. Say, but nothing's happening. Well, one day they're gonna come out of the dirt and there will be life. How many of you have lost someone that you love? This is amazing. Jesus is going to die. His body is going to be buried in the dirt and it'll be a few days. People will have their funeral and they'll move on with their life. And then he comes back and he's alive and he's walking around, he's hugging people, he's praying for people, he's teaching Bible studies, he's having breakfast. And what he's saying is, my death brings your life. I'm the first fruits and I go first and all who trust in me, they will rise as I have risen. I need you to have hope, my friend. Sin brings death, but Jesus' death conquers sin and it brings life, amen? Amen. Even this week, I know some of you, I love you all very, very much. And this week, there are some of you, you've lost someone that you love and or there is someone who is in the process of dying and you are in the process of grieving. If they know Jesus, you need to know, they're not dead, they're just sown. And that day is coming when there will be life springing forth from the dirt that now covers them. Last point, those who follow and serve Jesus will be honored by the Father forever. If anyone, that means you can love Jesus, you can serve Jesus, you can follow Jesus, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. That includes my friend, choosing the path of pain. If it arrives you to the position of living in God's will. Jesus walked that path. You and I are at times gonna need to walk that path. He must follow me and where I am there, my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, every single thing, I want to encourage you, everything you've ever done for Jesus, every act of kindness, every giving of forgiveness, every generous contribution, every prayer uttered, every person cared for, every task completed. Father, my friend, will honor you. You will stand before God. We're all going to die and stand before God. And Jesus says, it is possible. He says it elsewhere to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Your life is eternal. Your serving is eternal. Your following is eternal. Your reward is eternal. It's helpful for us to get the long view of things because when we're in the middle, it gives us hope if we know what awaits us at the end. Amen? Amen. If you are here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you need to know that because of sin, you have declared war on God and you made yourself an enemy of God. And that Jesus came humbly to die for you so that you could have peace with God, amen. You need to receive Jesus. For those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus, I need you to know that he came one time in humility, he's coming again in glory, that he came the first time riding a donkey. What does he come the second time riding? A horse. I told you, during peacetime, the king would ride a donkey. No hurry. During wartime, the king would ride a horse. As fast as he could, he would enter into the battle. He would conquer those who were against those that he loved and he would protect the interests of his kingdom and his citizens. This author, John, he writes another book of the Bible called Revelation. In chapter 19, he says this, then I saw, he sees as Daniel saw, then I saw heaven opened, he has a vision, and behold, a white horse, a white horse. Because the sinless, perfect Jesus rightly rides the white horse because the good guy always rides the white horse, amen? The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. The first time Jesus comes riding a donkey as the Prince of Peace. The second time he comes riding a horse as the King of Kings. The first time he comes to forgive. The second time he comes to judge. There will be peace forever after the King comes on his horse and conquers sin, conquers Satan, conquers death, puts down oppression and sets captives free. You need to know that right now you may be in a season of fighting Satan. Jesus, one day, my dear friend is going to saddle up and ride in and you won't need to fight. He'll fight for you. Some of you right now, you're fighting for your health. The Lord Jesus will saddle up and come and conquer death. You're fighting for your marriage. The Lord Jesus will saddle up, come in, and defeat Satan and demons who are trying to destroy your life, your family, and your legacy. You need to know, my dear friend, that Jesus not only comes as a peaceable king riding a donkey, he comes as a conquering king saddled up Riding a white horse. And what we're going to do now, we're going to enjoy this peace from this peaceable king. And we're going to look forward to seeing Jesus riding what? A white horse. That day is coming, friend. I don't know how this is all going to work out. It says that every eye will see. What is that? That a, is that a horse? Is that a, is that a white horse? Is, is, that, is that Jesus on a white horse? Oh, this is a good day. This is a good day for all of the children of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that first time you came in great humility, riding a donkey. We thank you that the second time you come in great glory, riding a horse. Lord Jesus, we ask you to bring us peace with God and the peace of God. And Lord Jesus, we long for that day when that, when that peace includes peace in our world, peace among the nations, Lord Jesus, I pray for these dear people, they're they're people that you love, that you have come to forgive and to set free and to reveal yourself to. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would give us a peace that surpasses understanding as the Prince of Peace, that you would allow us to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. Please encourage those who are discouraged. Please strengthen those who are weak. Please give hope to those whose hope is failing. Lord Jesus, help us to trust you by faith until we see you by sight. And Lord Jesus, by faith today, we together declare, you're gonna saddle up, you're gonna ride in, and we're not gonna do any of the work, but we're gonna witness it, and we're gonna sing and celebrate forever. And so we practice right now in your good name. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark Live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.